Hi, I'm Antoine Fuqua, I'm the director of Training Day. Well, the Sunrise was uh, when I first read the script. Uh, that wasn't in the script. I just uh, saw this as the dream. It was sort of a, the beginning of the day, and the sun represents um, sort of a clock, but it also represents uh, hell in a way, like being in the eye of the devil, so to speak. This opening scene is really about Jake's dream. Although the film takes place in a day, the idea was, for me, more about this young man's dreams, like the American dream. Babies are supposed to be sleeping. I'm too hungry for my own good. You know, he's got the wife and the baby. Everything seems to be perfect. And then we go into the beginning of his day, which he's excited about, obviously. You know, um, young police officer. Beautiful wife. Yep, ate like a pig. I know how lucky I am. I ate Sister Simon. Apartment's wide open. Get my own division someday. You should see those guys' houses. This scene right here really sets up Jake's, uh, what I like to call, you know, his hamatra, his fatal flaw, because uh, he says you should see these guys' houses. So Jake has ambition. <laughs> yes. That ambition is what's going to get him into all the things we're about to take you into. That's sort of his fatal flaw. It's to show that he's human, and he's not a perfect character like any human being would be. They have flaws. Right, yeah, I'm on my way out the door right now. Oi. Uh, yes, sir. Roll ferries go to roll call. We don't go to roll call. Okay, that's good to know. Listen, there's a coffee shop at 7th and Whitman. See you there at 10 o'clock. Me and Civvies, comfortable shoes. Got a backup gun, something pocket size? Uh, then it obviously sets up Denzel on the phone. Shows his nervousness. Maybe we'll do some business. We're an aggressive unit. I know, sir, that's why I signed up. And, you know, I just want to say thank you for giving me this. This scene is really... This is Ethan Hawke, I mean, in a way, for me. I saw Ethan Hawke on TV one day when I was casting this, and I, I said, this is Jake. I mean, Ethan Hawke's a young man that has a wife and a baby, and he's grown a lot since everyone in Hollywood has seen him, and he has a lot at stake, you know, just as a man. He has a whole family, and that changes you. Sometimes that gives you a false ambition, if that's possible. You know, he wants to get a big house for his wife. He wants to impress her. He wants his little girl to grow up in a perfect world. And uh, I would imagine, you know, when I sat and talked with uh, Ethan, you know, that's something that obviously he would like to try to provide for his family. And so he is Jake. And that's what I saw when I met Ethan. I sat with Ethan for four hours. I think it was one of the, uh, one of the most interesting uh, meetings I had since I've been in this business. I think he's a great guy. Hey, I find don't. 
nice here. May I read my paper? I'm sorry, sir. Thank right. you. You know what? I'll get something to eat. Oh, hell no, you won't. You fuck that up. I'm trying to read my paper. Please, shut up. And then Denzel read the script and wanted to meet with me, and we met three or four times to discuss the, the movie and the characters. And, and uh, we wanted to make it as realistic as possible. And uh, we wanted to make sure that this character, this particular character, Alonzo, was contemporary from what we know on the streets and what I know on the streets. So when you look at his wardrobe here, the way we introduce him here, I mean, he's a bit of a gangster to begin with, but he's charming and he's sexy and he's intelligent and he's mean and he's tough. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? And when you first meet him, he's sort of the, um, he's the guy that we all wish we could be and say all the things that we want to say. And he gets to say all those things. With your bullshit, tell me a story right now, go. Well, there was a DUI stop. A DUI stop? Wow, let me load up my gun. It's like meeting the devil for the first time. You know, he's not going to come to you with horns. He's going to come with as much charm and sexuality or whatever it is you think you want. He's going to be that person. Jake and Alonzo are the same people. Alonzo was once Jake when he first came on the force. Ah, so what was she, black, white? She was white. Uh-huh. Liquor license? Oh what? This was the first scene we shot in the movie, the first first day of shooting. Oh, is she good? Yeah, she's pretty good. Okay, pretty good, Debbie, Midwest. Denzel uh, played around quite a bit here with Ethan. And it actually worked quite well because it's the beginning of the day. It was our first day of shooting. Everybody has a little bit of uh, nervousness, naturally, myself. You know, Ethan. I don't know about Denzel. I don't think he was nervous at all. And uh, it actually worked for the movie because you could tell at times he would throw uh, Ethan off. But Ethan's a great actor. He was right there with him, and he made it work for the scene. And Debbie's tossing his car. She calls me over to the vehicle and shows me Snub 38 and two shotguns fully loaded and locked. Oh, shit. No shit. So and I just wanted to keep the camera just in their faces the whole time and just let you sit and enjoy them, get to know the characters. It's a big risk because it's a movie. There's not a lot happening in the scene except two guys talking. And I don't show anybody else in the cafe. I just focus on Ethan and uh, Denzel. And uh, the response I get from the audience is quite favorable just to let the camera sit there, so... There's a lesson in that. But I don't believe you. They're great actors. This is my favorite scene. Tell the truth. <laughs> you know you tapped that ass. You put her in the back seat. Bam. Code X. But man, I got a wife. You got a dick. You do have a dick, don't you? Yes. Okay, your dick lines up straight like that, right? To the right of it and to the left of it are pockets, right? In those pockets are money. Look in either one of them. Pay the bill. I got this script from my agent one day, and uh, he called me up and told me that uh, this is my movie, based on knowing me. Uh, the majority of my friends are undercover cops or so-called gangbangers. And uh, when I read the script, it's just a world I knew well. And my agent's been a friend of mine for 12 years. 
And I actually uh, wrote a script based on a book called Monster about a young gangbanger. And some of this was in my script about uh, undercover cops, and but not just the regular undercover cops, about these guys. About some of my friends and, uh, and how they live. So when I read the script, uh, right away I knew this was um, something that gave me a heartbeat and I wanted to do it. And I let everybody know that. And uh, Denzel saw the replacement killers. And he also saw me um, on the cover of Premier Magazine with um, some other propaganda filmmakers. And he wanted to meet me. And we sat down and talked about the movie. I introduced him to uh, a few people I know. And we sat in the room and talked to gangbangers and undercover cops. And he wanted me to direct the film because of uh, because I know the world and because uh, there's a certain reality in that world that a lot of people would avoid there's a certain language in the film that a lot of people would avoid but when me and Denzel sat down and spoke about the movie and Ethan there you go you can do it. Stick with me. You can do My it. goal was always to, you know, make it as real as possible and put you in it. So that means if you're in it, in that car with Denzel and Ethan, as you hear what he's about to say here, my nigga, it's not nigger, it's my nigga. It's a term of endearment that's used on the street. People on the street have taken negative terms and flipped it. It's like saying what's happening, my man, what's happening, my friend. You know, whatever you, whatever term you use, my nigga is actually um, something you use on the street. So we decided to make it realistic and put Jake in the real world of the streets. We don't roll like that no more. Now we use this brain power. These niggas are too strong out there anyway. You think I'm crazy, right? So Jake basically is us. He's the audience. A lot of people don't know what happens in this world. A lot of people never been in a car with an undercover cop. And uh, you can't be politically correct in that world. How long you been married? That's the real world that I put them in. Names don't mean anything. You know, my nigga doesn't mean anything. You can be white nigga, black nigga, Latino nigga. It doesn't mean anything. I can't miss. Can we not talk about my family? All right. I respect that. So, you know, some people were uh, offended by that word. Those people need to get their fingers on the pulse of what's happening in the world around them because I guarantee you their children are using that sort of lingo if they're in high school. In this day and age, they've heard it many times. They hear this language in rap music. They hear it when they go to school. It's just a harsh reality. And they will chew you up. Never wear that wedding ring to work. I'm serious about that. All right, all right, thanks. What's here? 
You see that Sabatou show, Zero Hit, sitting over there on the fence, trying to act like he's not slanging dope. Yeah? Yeah. It's my boy. My There's boy, a saying man. on the streets that uh, a good friend of mine, an undercover cop, always says, you want to go to jail, you want to go home. Or you want to be on the team. If you want to be on the team, then you give me the information. If you don't want to be on the team, then I'm going to put your ass in a cell and make sure nobody sees you for a while. And obviously, most people don't want to sit in a cell or go to prison, so they get on the team. And then, of course, you know, you do things for the family and all that. But the bottom line is, you got to have your ears on the street. It's like intelligence for the CIA. Everybody becomes a part of your intelligence. So that means, as an undercover cop, you got to play the game. And you're not necessarily always undercover. A lot of people know who you are, but they're on your team. So the new people that come into your area or in coming to the world of drugs or whatever you're doing, they're easy prey because you have a lot of uh, intelligence on the street, so to speak. That's what this scene's really all about. Run, baby, run. To try to explain to the audience that, you know, undercover cop is not a guy driving around in a white Chevy you know, with a necktie on or jeans, you know, the undercover cop is in the world. This is actually a fun scene right here. These kids were great in the car. <laughs> we had a lot of humor in this scene. I took it out because um, I wanted to show how dangerous Alonzo can be, how aggressive he can be, and what appears to be an unnecessary situation. You what? know what I'm talking about? Oh, the marijuana. Oh. Give it to me. Give it to me. Oh, Give it to me. Okay, okay, okay. Sorry, sir. Shut up. Know. He's kind of just trying to scare them straight, so to speak, you know? In a way, what he's doing is, is actually a good thing because it is a gang neighborhood and people die in that world and drugs are laced. You know, anything can happen and, you know. So he's, he's being hard on them, but... It's sometimes necessary to be that way. And we had Alonzo cracking a lot of jokes about the color of the VW. And he was asking the, he was asking the driver about his mother and what she looked like. You know, I mean, he was, uh, he was really pushing it. He was, uh, you know, flirting with the girl in the back, checking her out. You know, he was a little out of control. So we just toned him down a little bit so we had somewhere to go later. But as a character, he was really pushing every scene. <laughs> I like that shit. Hey, I like the way you moved out there. You were trained very well. Check that out. It's a shitty dime. See the small hairs? You know, the thing about Alonzo is everything he says is true. Maybe one line or two that may not be true, but everything he says is the truth. In this world, you cannot be undercover and hang out with drug dealers, killers, and not make them believe that you're a part of them. You know, you can't be at a party and everybody's doing cocaine and you're supposed to be a drug dealer or a drug user. You know, you can't infiltrate if they don't believe you. So they're playing a role, but they play the role for their lives. So that means you have to push the envelope and obviously they're not gonna put that in a police manual. But of course, you know, if you're with Escobar, you know, in Cuba somewhere or whatever, you know, 
you wind up with a Cuban necktie if you don't do what they think you should be doing, you know? So basically he's telling them the truth because it could save his life. And he also has to be able to smell it and taste it and know what it is. If he's, at a, if he's somewhere and he smells it, he should know what it is. Go back to the valley, rookie. Like I said, again, you just got to be in it. You got to be in the belly of the beast. You know, you can't, you know, kill the dragon unless you are in his lair. That's the way it is. That's the way the game is played out there. And Lonzo's having fun with it. And obviously there's a plan. This whole movie's about chess. It is. This whole movie's a plan that Alonzo has, which we find out later. That was a, one of the first moves in the game. Every step is to corrupt him. It's like the devil. He's offering him women, drugs, money, fame. It's several tests. Finish that shit. Let's go, nigga. Let's go. The bridge the freeway for me was the line being crossed jake's now going into a darker world it's more of a spiritual journey for me that's the way i kind of approach the whole movie as a test of uh jake's integrity jake is basically being tested for his soul you know what's the old saying uh gain the world lose your soul like in the beginning of the movie jake has ambition so his ambition made him smoke the marijuana because he could have just got out of the car but he didn't he could have walked out of the restaurant, but he didn't. hit you took, dog. When's the last time you smoked weed? Uh, the la la um, 12th grade. We were... Well, we were... Um, Smoking weed? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was a fun scene because uh, Denzel did much more here. He, you know, he was laughing quite a bit and playing with Jake a little more and, you know, making all sorts of strange sounds and, you know, he was really... <laughs> Uh, fucking with Jake in this scene with Ethan but they both had a good time with it Ethan did a great job in this scene when he first came to the set he had this glassy look in his eyes he was so into the moment you know of being high it's actually funny I didn't realize it was going to be so funny until we were shooting it you know and then when I put it in front of an audience they laugh every single time at that scene because he's, he's, he's goofy you know he's a goofy kid you know and uh He's endearing. You, you love that. Uh, you love that about him. Ethan did a great job of that. And it really is a scene where they're just riding and looking. Shit. So from the time he smoked the marijuana to the time he came under the bridge into the world, it's like descending into hell. That's why I shot it that way. That's why Alonzo looked. His, his, his tongue was red and the world was more vibrant. 
is because Jake was now descending into the heart of darkness. It's getting darker and darker. And he made a choice to cross over to the other side as soon as he smoked the uh, marijuana. Come on, get your shit together now. This is my dog's house. Let's see what he thinks of me. Brother, get your ass. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, boy? All right. How they treat you? All right, give me a pound. Right. I didn't break right, you up, right. did I? No, baby. You know yeah. I never sleep. That's Just right. Sleep. Hey, this is my new guy, Jake. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time to get my swerve on, man. You drinking, dog? Who am I drinking? The best. The best, I know. It's the best for the best. I heard you had a beef in Vegas. It's a green line on your ass. Nah, ain't no problem. It's all good. The Russians want your head. You know I got your back. I know that. Thank you. Yeah. Get that medicine up in you. This is a fun scene with Scott Glenn. He's a great actor. Um, Back to the world, dog. Back to the world. Scott's a real cool guy. He's um, He brought a lot to the table. That that little thing, Back to the World, was something that's between us. Uh, Scott Glenn was in Vietnam, and me and Denzel talked quite a bit about Alonzo being from Vietnam as well. <laughs> Jesus. And they were buddies, possibly. So Back to the World, that's, what, that's a term they used between them. And sometimes what we found out is some people that were in Vietnam, quite a bit of them actually got into law enforcement. Some of them came home and enjoyed having a gun and didn't feel safe without having a gun. And uh, there's a danger to that because there are a lot of people who came home from any war, especially Vietnam, and enjoyed the thrill of a kill. And Alonzo's a bit of that type. You know, we had this uh, saying, ain't it sexy? That's what Alonzo says in that other scene. Because we discovered that from some research, some guys that were in war found that they enjoyed it. It actually got them excited, like sex. So, you know, it was sexy to them. You know, that world, that dark world, violence was sexy. And that's part of Alonzo's twisted mentality. Here's a joke, boy. Man walks out of his house on his way to work, sees this snail lying on his porch. So he picks it up, chucks it over the roof into the backyard. Snail bounces off a rock, busts its shell up, all this shit, lands in the grass. Hmm? Snail lies there, dying. But <clears throat> snail doesn't die, and after a while, it can crawl again. And one day, snail up and heads back to the front of the house. And finally, after oh, about a year, the little guy crawls back on the porch. Right then, the man walks out of his house on his way to work. He sees this snail again. So he looks at it, and he says, the fuck's your problem? <laughs> this is one of those scenes where, you know, I went back and forth with the studio and the writers, and we, we you know, we all talked about the scene a lot because it sits there. That's not funny. And there was times where we wanted to... Not me, but some people wanted to cut the snail story out to speed up the movie and things like that. I had a little more faith in the audience. I, I felt like people want to sit down and just uh, listen to actors talk. And I think it's important for the movie that this scene just stopped. Yeah, well, it's, it's all about smiles, 
and cries. Put the drink down, man. Because the movie sort of it's like a, a slow burn. It's like lighting a um a fuse to a stick of dynamite. Eventually you'll get to the stick and then it then it will explode, but it has to you know, sometimes the the sparkle and the sizzle is exciting and it's interesting and it just you know, it just a slow burn. And this is what all this is. This is, you know, the drinking and being part of the boys club and making Jake feel like he's accepted. And it's a total mind game Alonzo's playing with Jake as well as with Roger right now. This whole scene is really all about two things, smiles and cries. And Alonzo asking Roger, what are you doing later on? That's what this whole scene is about. Back to the office. Mm. Thanks for the snort, dog. Yeah. Always good to see you, brother. Yeah. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. What you doing later on? Stay in the house, say some cheddar. I'm less than a year away from my. It's day. just Alonzo. His whole plan. Every move he's making is a plan. That's right. Let me go with you. You're invited. At the same time, he's sucking Jake in because he hasn't quite made his mind up about Jake yet. Whether or not Jake is a corruptible cop, and the audience, we don't know what his plan is. Hey, open your eyes, man. You'll feel a lot better. This scene here, like, for example, he tells him, you know, get that beer up in you. Get your ass up. Boy, he's just trying to get alcohol and drugs in this guy's system and corrupt him. (laughs) I'm the zigzag, man. Who the fuck are you? I'm a cop, man. Watch out. All right, don't shoot nobody. You get that beer in you, man. That'll give you balance. Uh, For real, get that up in you, man. You feel better. Stop the car, man. What? Stop the car. He's making Jake feel like he's part of the team, you know? Get that beer up in you, man, you know? Smoke this or your wife or wife will get a crispy folded flag, you know? Tell me a story. You know, it's just a it's just a it's a mind game. This is this is the only time if you look at the movies, the only time Jake follows his instinct. Well, until the end of the movie. It's the only time he actually does the right thing and jumps out of out of the car. Basically, it's like apocalypse now. You know, he gets off the boat. So, so you know, this this interrupts Alonzo's plans, which why doesn't help him. He's actually pissed that Jake didn't stay in the car because he's on a schedule. But then he decides to watch him to see, hey, you know, this guy's good with his hands. He's a smart kid, and he has the magic eye. So maybe I can use him. So now he's thinking, in which me and Denzel talked about quite a bit. At first he's pissed, and then he, then he starts laughing because he, he realizes, you know, maybe I'll just put this guy on the street and make him one of my road dogs. You know, make him part of the team. Maybe he's not just a mark. He might be something special. This is Letty. Samantha. She did a great job too. Put a little ice on it, you're gonna be fine. What are you doing out here anyway? Huh? 
These pieces of shit, they probably got age, you know? Why you not in school? I was just going to a ditch party. You almost became a part of the ditch party. This is a very hard scene because uh, we're in an alleyway. The whole movie takes place in one day. And it was raining one day. It stopped raining. The sun was moving. Clouds kept coming over. We had crackheads in the alleyway. And this was under schedule. We actually had this schedule for all this for one day, which was ridiculous. And we wind up shooting it over a course of two and a half days. Ah, got room for you at the booty house. You ever been to the booty house? Huh? Big boys have you grab your ankles, man. That was one of the hardest things about this movie is it was supposed to take place in one day. And we couldn't control the weather, obviously. And uh, I had to work around that quite a bit. It seems like a simple scene, but it was actually really complicated because the sun kept, you know, the clouds kept covering it up. And it would rain when I'm on one angle and then stop when I'm on the other angle. It was frustrating. And then, of course, you have all the... Uh, crackheads and everything else screaming out of windows and doing all kind of other things. But the actors stayed focused. These guys are great. Yeah, oh shit, huh? Huh? We added these things. We added this this big knife here. We wanted to push it a little further. Turn around, sucker. Turn around. So you like raping young girls? Hmm? You like to rape young girls? That's your M.O.? No. No, That's what you like, no. isn't it? You like to rape young girls. No. That's what you like to do, right? Don't lie to me. You told me to suck your dick, bitch. Isn't that what you said to me? Look at me. You want me to suck your dick. That's what you said, right? That what you said? Hmm? Didn't you say suck my dick, bitch? Don't lie to me. That's what you said. You telling me I'm a liar? You didn't say suck my dick, bitch. That's not what you said to me. So I'm lying. There is no other way to, to make this movie as far as I was concerned. You had to shoot this in real locations. There's so much um, tension. There's so many incredible faces. There's a certain amount of danger in these places naturally. Uh, there's a texture that you can't get anywhere else. Also for the actors and for myself, it made them understand a little more of, uh, of the world that they were portraying. I mean, it, it gave them an idea a clear idea when you're in it. You know, it's like I said about the undercover cops, you have to be in it. And as a filmmaker and, and as actors, they needed to be in it as well. They needed to see children, you know, that have uh, what we call the snake with the line right up their belly from Martin Luther King Hospital when they've been sewed up from stray bullets, uh, which Denzel and Ethan both saw. And they sat on the porch and had dinner with people and talk with people. They had to see gangbangers with scars with half their arm burned up or ripped up. They had to see police constantly around. They had to see crackheads on the street and gangbangers and old ladies and children. They had to be in it, and that's what we did. It was complicated, but it was actually an, an amazing experience for everybody because the texture of the locations you can't get anywhere else and you can't cast those people. You can't, you know, you know, have the Beverly Hills gangbanger come in with a scarf on his head, you know, so far away from the truth. It's ridiculous. I mean, you know, uh, colors and all that stuff, that's not the real world. No, I don't want to be a man. Nah. You mad? 
you know, this culture changes so quickly down there. The subculture, uh, the subcultures in ghettos and areas like that change so quickly. The lingo changes almost daily because they're constantly trying to outsmart the police. The wardrobe changes consistently. You know, I mean, you know, all those things, you had to be in it to see it, and you had to understand that so you know what world you're in. And me and Denzel and Ethan... Uh, agreed to let's let's go that deep. Let's let's put the audience in it as much as we can. So, you know, in doing that, we got a lot of um, resistance uh, from uh, so-called public officials, and we had, uh, you know, some people, you know, producers or you know, some people at the studio were concerned about that, of course, and naturally that makes sense. But the thing is, I, you know, Denzel grew up. In some of those areas, I grew up in those areas. 98% of the people are hardworking people, you know, trying to take care of their families. And then you have, you know, the other 2%. If you respect them, they'll respect you. And that's what we had. We had mutual respect and we had no problems at all. We had nobody, you know, get slapped around, robbed, shot, cooked or boiled. None of that happened. We actually had a really good time. The people um, in those areas were very helpful. A lot of the gangbangers are in the movie. A lot of the old ladies are in the movie and kids are in the movie. And um, some of the men of the neighborhood are in the movie. Got number shit between your ears. Shit, they build jails because of me. Judges have handed out over 15,000 man years of incarceration time based on my investigations, okay? My record speaks for itself. How many felons have you collared? Huh? Yeah, I rest my case. Oh, Look, man, I'm not smoking crack, all right? I'm glad I don't... Head. I just put yeah. it in the glove box. Put the $60 in there, too. That'll come in handy later on. we we'll use it like, like a credit card or something. Hey, no matter what I say, you did the right thing. Reminds me when I was out there chasing down bad guys, rocking their world. That was some pretty amazing shit you did back there, Oi. Thanks. Yeah, I noticed you applied that uh, that chokehold, huh? <laughs> I had several uh, undercover cops with me that uh, helped me a lot. One we call Cool Cat uh, from San Francisco. He was with me all the time to make sure that there was no problems on his end as far as any police that may have had a problem with the movie or the subject matter gave me a problem. And Brian Davis from the SIS, they were with me all the time. So I was hanging out with, you know, my friends, the gangbangers and the police, and they made sure everything went well. That's a rooster. Give me a wolf. Fuck this, man. Give me that beard. Ah, there you go. That's my nigga. You got the magic eye, Hoyt. You have the magic eye. You up your street IQ, you're gonna do some damage out here, I guarantee you. Crime fighter. Shackle me your chains, tamper with my brain. Spin a 10 digit number when you call me by my name. The system has been aimed for every 211 and every 187. My niggas just to blame. What happened to the yellow is a motherfucking shame.
public officials or certain government groups or whatever didn't want to give me permission to film. But the people, I had, I had meetings with the people who lived there, and they wanted me to come film because I wanted their children to see something positive. I wanted them to see a black man directing. I wanted them to meet Denzel. I wanted them to meet Ethan. It was important for them to see that, you know, you know, we're just human and, you know, if we can do it, so can they. And we're not people they see on TV or like Denzel and Ethan, people they see on a big silver screen. You know, they're flesh and blood, and that gives them hope. Come on, man. You know, I wouldn't let anybody stop me from filming in those areas for whatever reasons they thought, because most of the people that told me, no, don't even go in those areas and probably never been there before and don't know all the kindness and and uh, they don't know all the wonderful people that actually live there. All they hear is what the media tells them as opposed to taking a drive and finding out yourself. We had a great time filming there. We had a great experience filming in all those areas. This place was kooky. This is a, <laughs> it's a real... Um, sort of um, hair salon, hair weave, wig shop. This is a bizarre place to be in. And most of these places are owned by Koreans or Vietnamese or, you know. Uh, and what's, what's interesting about it is that a lot of the gangbangers and a lot of the undercover cops speak several different languages, like Vietnamese or Korean, because they have to communicate when they go into these shops. And they also want to know what they're, what's being said. That's why you hear Denzel speaking these different languages. He speaks, uh, you know, uh, whatever is necessary on the streets, whatever culture he's dealing with, that's the language he can speak. Snoop is actually a really good actor, man. Snoop is uh, a lot of fun. He was so disciplined. He was there every day. He brought, you know, <laughs> he brought everything that you would expect from Snoop. I ain't got nothing on me. I gave it up, dog. This particular day we were filming down there, we had over 200 people show up on the streets. People screaming out, Denzel, Snoop Dogg. I could barely get a shot off half the time. We had basketball players come down and movie stars. Th this was the most difficult day dealing with the public out here on Crenshaw because uh, all the young kids were out of school and and Snoop was down there and then Dre came down and it was like a rock concert uh, this particular day. And I had one day actually to do this and that was difficult. But Snoop was so focused and he was right there. I never had to wait for him. You know, you hear a lot of rumors about rappers and all these guys and you know, th th these guys, the ones that are serious about their craft, they show up, and he showed up, and he was ready to go, and he he did a great job. I'm really proud of Snoop. Now, you gonna give me a name now. Come on, man, you That's ain't 10 no right snitch, there, dog. Man. I know you ain't no snitch. Give me a name. Denzel's amazing. Denzel can hear something once, and uh, a month later, you hear him saying this. You want to go to jail, you want to go home. He has an amazing memory. I think he heard that once by another cover cop. This guy, Cool Cat. You know, he'll use things that you have no idea. You say something around him and he'll absorb it in, in 
throw it out at you a month or two months later in a scene. And he doesn't write it down. I've never seen him write it down. He's just... He becomes this character. Denzel became Alonzo. Every day on the set, I was dealing with Alonzo. Which is, you know... Which is, you know, a little horrifying sometimes because you don't know what's going to come out of his mouth. You know, you just kind of roll with it, man. And he... Um, not only does he stay focused on the story and the scene, he just brings this reality to it. You can't rehearse it. You can't write it on a script. You really have to just give him the room he needs. Okay, thanks a lot. And as well as Ethan, you have to give them room. Because I would be there with them with my headset on. And the most disappointing thing is that every time I yell cut, these two guys would start rattling on back and forth as Jake and Alonzo, and I would go, shit, turn the camera back on, turn the camera back on. It would be too late because we are out of film, we have to reload. They never stopped. I mean, just going, cracking jokes, you know, standing in each other's face. <laughs> I, you know, I couldn't capture it all. I need another month of shooting and just uh, some sort of camera. I would have had to shoot this on video where you just roll and you never stop to capture everything they were really doing. As you saw there, the sun, the sunrise again, the sun shot's a little hotter there. That's, again, a clock that I was using. Obviously, we don't know quite what's, what's going on with Alonzo yet. This scene was shot in Imperial Court. Imperial Court... It's in Watts. Listen, Intel says that she lives here alone. She got two female juveniles, one possible male juvenile. Well, if he's not here, why are we here? We're here to serve this warrant. <laughs> Come on, man, we can't do that. Hell yeah, we can. We the police. We can do the fuck we want to do. Why don't we just get a real warrant? Listen, we're trying to get shit done, all right? Just stand over there and don't get me killed, all right, new guy? This is so-called one of the most dangerous places in uh, L.A., you know, there's a lot of shootouts between cops and gang members, a lot of violence. Okay, just open the door. We don't want to have to kick it in now. Open the door, man. We don't want to have to knock the door down. This is a fun scene because we have Macy Gray in it. And, you know, and again, Macy, I knew Macy uh, a couple years before I got this film, and we've been friends, and I just find her so fascinating, you know, and she's, you know, every character I wanted to be a character that you wouldn't forget. And as uh, soon as I read the script and I saw Sandman's wife, I could just hear her voice. I could just hear this voice coming through the door, you know. And <laughs> I gave her the script. I went down to the studio one night. She was working on her album. And I said, you have to read this right now. Clear. She said, well, I can't, Antoine. I said, when can you read it? She goes, I'll read it tomorrow or whatever. And she read it. And she called me. And she says, I'll do it. She loved it. And um she went off. I said, I, I told Macy, I gave her uh, some room. I said, listen, I want it to be fun for you. I want you to create a character. I want you to go down into the hood, and I want you to hook up with some people, and I want you to take elements of that, and I want to create an interesting character. And uh, Macy uh, came out to see me one day, and she had this wig on like this, and the gold tooth, and the long nails, and people didn't even know it was Macy Gray. Most people don't know it's Macy Gray until you hear her voice and you watch it for a while. And she created a great character. And she had fun, which was my goal. I wanted her to enjoy it. And she was fantastic. And this scene here was 
This is a pretty intense scene for uh, Macy and, 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 and Ethan because it's, you know, it's verbally abusive. And we did more, of course, and we had to trim it down. But it's a, you know, it's a good example of how people feel about uh, officers of the law in this area. Well, you got the gun, don't you, boss? That's right, I do. Punk-ass, bitch-ass, crooked-ass cop. Okay. You a rookie. This little boy's name is actually Denzel. He was a he was a sweet kid. He did a fine job. This scene, um, we shot this in this house, this this little house, and uh, my production designer uh, Naomi did such a great job with it. But the thing is, is that when you go into these houses, I mean, you know, you see the little. Uh, black angels on the wall and the leopard skin stuff. I mean, I grew up in this stuff, and it's it's you can't you can't create this stuff. You know, you have to really be in it again. So when we went down there, you know, this is a lot of the stuff we saw, and I wanted it to stay the same. And Naomi would add to it, and you know, we would do what we needed to do for us. But you know, we didn't change too much uh, in this house. But it captures, you know. The culture you know, down there. There you go. Let's go. You motherfuckers! They jockeys! They say, you better give me my fucking money back, motherfucker. You ain't no police. Fuck you, give me my fucking money back. This is the first scene that Ethan actually can say Alonzo did something illegal. This is the first scene where Ethan can see his career going down the drain and actually sitting in the court of law because he had a fake warrant. Yeah, motherfucker. And also is the first scene where, where uh, you see Alonzo, see, as aggressive as he is, See, this is all about believing your myth. Alonzo believes he's indestructible. Alonzo believes that, you know, how, how dare these guys shoot at me? I'm, a, you know, I'm Alonzo. I'm a cop. I'm larger than life. You know, you don't go walking towards bullets unless you, you know, you believe you're a god, so to speak. He's believing his own myth. I mean, what the hell were you doing back there? I was checking for narcotics activity. That's the first sign that we see that this guy is, is a little bit more than just doing his job and just teaching him. This guy's, his ego is huge. She's talking shit. She's screaming about trying to get us killed. We had a lot of conversations before we shot that scene. But it is the moment where Jake has to make a decision. And it also is the moment where Jake has to understand what he's getting into. Hello. On the highway. What? Listen, you're in a privileged position to learn a thing or two. Keep your mouth shut and your eyes open. You say you're serious about doing some good in the real world. Well, this is the place to learn. But if this kind of shit shakes you up, maybe you ought to go back to your division, you know? Try to the watch commander to give you a nice job lighting flares or measuring car wrecks. 
you got to decide. You know, it's not going to be uh, uh, you riding around busting uh, college kids all day. It's going to be, you know, it's real guerrilla warfare, if you will. That's what it is. It's not riding around giving tickets. You know, that's the real world. A sheep or a wolf. You know, again, you know, it's the devil, man. He's seducing him. That's kind of exciting. If you've ever been in a shootout or anything like that, it's scary as hell, but it's exciting for him. He's a cop. That's why he became a cop. That's why he played football. This guy's got a lot of that in him already. And Alonzo's just pushing all of his buttons to see how far he'll go. What are we doing going in here, man? We'll get killed coming in here. Ah, uh, you know about this place, huh? Yeah, it's a jungle, right? That's right. They say don't come in here with anything less than a platoon. That's right. So now we're in uh, Pinewood, the jungle. This is uh, Damu's. It's the heart of it right here. Jungle, Damu. We spent a lot of time filming here. Uh, and these are all, you know, real people from the area. All the guys. And uh, it's a very dangerous area in L.A. Because it is true, you know, there's one way in, one way out. And uh, if they don't know you, you could have problems. I treat them fair. They know if they cross the line, I'm taxing that ass. Flipping pigeons is a deep subculture thing. It's actually like a sport. These flipping pigeons have been a part of gangsters for a long time. If you remember on the waterfront, you know, there was pigeons on the roof there. These pigeons are about $8,000 a piece. They folly. You clap your hands. They fall. They folly. They swoop to the ground. And if their uh, blood is pure, sometimes they'll, they'll crash and kill themselves. It's like something that some of these guys go do. You know, to show off their birds. It also represents a certain amount of power you have in certain areas. You can give them to somebody as a gift, a sign of respect. But you got to be in it to know all that. A lot of people don't know anything about flipping pigeons or tumblers, some people call them. You better call me. Man, I'm sick of this shit, man. Can't stand it, motherfucker. Who are they? Nobody. Some bust ass niggas. I got them all under my thumb. What's up, Lonzo? Hi, right, Spider. What's happening? What's happening, dog? Right. Hey, what's up, girl? Look at you. Look at you. Go ahead. All that jelly and no toast. Who lives here? It's one of my lovelies, you know, one of my dimes. A loving touch, you know. Don't worry about it. <laughs> policia, policia, senorita. Ah, mommy. And Eva Mendez, she's gorgeous. I think she's a talented actress. You know, we didn't get to explore all of it in this movie, obviously, but she's actually a talented young lady. And um, it wasn't easy for her to work in this environment, I think, because uh, basically she's playing a role of a victim. I think it's difficult for any woman in this situation. What we discovered is a lot of these guys meet these women right off the boat, so to speak, you know, when they're 16 years old and they raise them, is the term they use. They manipulate them. And a lot of these girls don't know much. And they put them up in an apartment. You know, they make babies with them. And it's like these guys are living 
two or three different lives, even more. She probably doesn't even have her green card. So, you know, what's she going to do? Who's she going to tell? He'll send her back to El Salvador. So Alonzo has a family somewhere else. But he makes his stops here. He keeps his guns here. It's, a, it's an escape. He also can keep his eye on everybody around. This is all El Salvadorian food. Thank you. It looks great. I have to go. <laughs> yeah. All right. And the one that suffers the most is the boy. the scene because you can't quite tell what's going on in Denzel's eyes there because there's a certain amount of you know love I guess you can call it that but he's still cold and distant from the boy and this is about as affectionate as he can be okay see the first time anyone's ever filmed inside Pacific Dining Car. And this restaurant is open 24 hours a day. A lot of people don't even know this restaurant is here. This rest, well, a lot of people know, a lot of people don't know, but uh, this restaurant, I think, has been open for almost 80-something years, if I'm not mistaken. Something like that. Give or take maybe five years or something. Everyone told me I couldn't film in this restaurant. No way, they'll never let you do that. And I went and had a big baseball steak with the owner, and he let me film here. Captain Lou Jacobs. You ever need to talk to the It's a very classy place. It's, it's a great place. Uh, also, I wanted to film in real locations again in Los Angeles because Los Angeles plays an important character in the movie. L.A. has something that no other big city has. L.A. is like a big suburb, you know. It's like this... Uh, it's very easy to get lost in Los Angeles and wind up in the wrong neighborhood real quick. And uh, although it looks nice with green lawns and palm trees, you could be, you know, walking into some serious, serious shit. Ain't dead yet. Nothing in L.A. is what it seems and what it appears to be. The sun is shining. Somebody's being murdered across town. 
It's raining, you know. People are celebrating a premiere in Beverly Hills. I mean, you just you know nothing is what it appears to be in Los Angeles. It's a big illusion. And this movie is a bit of that, capturing you know real places. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. This is serial burglar. But I love this place. This place is beautiful. Chasing him for twelve months, a real slickster, gave up nothing. Cap was riding my ass the entire time. It's a great example of what the three wise men represent. You know, the three wise men. Represent, you know, uh, a certain bureaucracy. They sort of represent what Alonzo wants to be, where he wants to go. Alonzo wants to become one of the kings. You know, he wants to sit there and eat steaks and drink red wine and not get his uh, hands dirty anymore. I mean, that's the goal. Right now, he's, uh, you know, he works for them, you know. He's on the streets doing the dirty work, and these guys are wearing the uh, Armani suits. <laughs> this story that he's telling here, we went back and forth on this, taking this story out of the movie, leaving it in, and I fought to keep it in because it's not a story about just about peanut butter. It's about how the system doesn't always work and how people play the system. And... These guys could all sit around and joke about it and laugh about it, but at the end of the day, this story gives them an excuse to be corrupt. They feel that because this judge wasn't smart enough to know that it was peanut butter on the guy's hands, she let the guy go. She put him in a nut house instead of putting him in prison where he belonged. So if our system's not going to work and if people aren't smart enough to catch the game, then they'll take it into their own hands, you know, like he says. You know, if I see him on the streets, I'm going to do him. Well, there's a lot of people that think that way. So this story has much more meaning than just, you know, a twisted story being told. It actually gives them an excuse to be corrupt. It makes them feel like it's justified. Their actions are justified, which is why I wanted to keep it. I didn't know. It's not my town. I'm not omniscient. The Russians don't care if you have a badge. They'll whack you. These guys, obviously, it was, uh, I was so excited that they uh, they wanted to do this movie with me. Um, Tom Berenger, uh, Ray Berry, Harris Yulin. I mean, they're great actors and bring so much weight to the movie. And uh, the movie really needed to uh, give you a different tone. If I'm not around, who's going to keep them off the radar? You? I'm just taxing them, that's all. Okay? The team is not just young gangsters on the street, you know, running around selling drugs. It goes all the way up the ladder. I do not want you and it spreads I do not want into front page like those other the offices of executives, politicians, chiefs, lieutenants. You know, corruption doesn't stop in the hood. And a lot of times, a lot of it can't even happen unless these guys give it a green light. You know, so... That's what they represent, the higher level of corruption. And, you know, again, this movie is not an indictment of LAPD. This is everywhere. You know, I took this movie to Chicago, New York, Orlando, you know, Italy. And in every place, I've talked to people, and they all had high levels of corruption in their public service offices. 
Tell him to pick up some tools, picks and shovels. Make sure he signs them out for maintenance. Of course, there's some great, there's some heroes, but also there's some zeros. There's some bad ones, too, and that's what this movie's about. It's about the corruption and, uh, and how one man has to try to do his job with integrity. You really want to know? Yeah, I really want to know. Yeah. Me and David Aries to talk all the time, and we had a line that says, uh, in, a, in a world of corrupt men, what happens when one says no? And that's the question we kept asking in the movie. What happens when one of them says, no, I won't, I won't go along, I won't be corrupted? And this is what could happen. An example, David Ayer was the writer. Yeah, fuck you guys. This introduces a, a whole group of Alonzos. What's up, Lonzo? You got two picks and shovels? They're in the truck. Wanna dig a ditch? This is his posse. This is his crew. This, these, are the, these are the guys that he hangs with. They understand each other. They all make a good living. But if you look at each one of them, they're all the same. All these guys are the same. Alonzo's smarter than they are, though, obviously. And he has more experience. So he can manipulate them and get them to do whatever he wants. He is hoping that Jake will become one of these guys. Jay Coy, it's my first day in the unit. I'm from Valley Patrol. You a long way from Starbucks, homie. And what he saw in Jake and what he's seeing in Jake is Jake is smarter than most of these guys. So maybe Jake can become a part of the crew. Alonzo won't have to put as much work in, and he can have Jake do most of the work. It's all good, legit. Signed by the judge, okay? Thanks to the Sandman. Now listen up. Safety is first. He gives us shit, boom, we're giving him lead. Let's do this right so we can all go home and do the wife or the girlfriend thing, all right? Dre did a great job with the scene. All these guys did a great job. Peter Green, Nick Chinlin, Jaime, they all did a great job. They're like my wild bunch, these guys, you know? I wish I'd have had more time to do some more uh, things with them because there's a whole other story with each one of them. This scene here is uh this is what I like to call the wake up this is the wake up call scene for Jake. This is the scene where you don't have much of a choice when you get put in this situation. You know what you're doing, son. Drop what's in your hands before zero. Five, four, three, three, two, boom. They've thrown him into it now. He is he is in the lion's den. There is no way out of this scene for him. There's no way out of this situation, rather, unless he's on the team. What's going down, brother? Oh, it's all good, baby. As the scene unfolds, we see what can happen when you're not on the team. Alonzo's still not quite made his mind up what he's going to do with Jake yet. This is the scene where Jake makes his decision, whether he's going to, you know, walk on the dark side or the other side. Don't mind if I have some of your $300 glass shit there with you. Please. 
Had lunch with the wise men today. They said you got to render under Caesar. Fucking vampires won my pension. Nah, it's nothing like this. This is one of those scenes where uh, the producers would have had to drag me out kicking and screaming because I wouldn't leave it until I shot everything I wanted to shoot in there. And I shot everything I wanted to shoot in this scene. Which is hard to say in every scene. You don't get to do that. But this is one I wouldn't leave. I wouldn't leave the set. <laughs> because so many things have to happen here between Alonzo, his boys, Jake, Roger. And you're going to miss what we take. Sorry, orders is orders, dog. No, you ain't cop. Tim, Jeff, Jake, we're gonna work in the kitchen. Grab the tools. Give me the bitch. You know, you have to deal with Jake quite a bit here because, you know, on one hand, there they do have a warrant. That's a a real warrant. And it's been, you know, signed by the judge. So there's something official here happening. At the same time, earlier that day. Alonzo said this was his dog, his best friend. So there's a lot of confusion going on with Jake, but, you know, Jake is going to do the right thing because he's a cop and he's going to follow the rules. And this scene is about how the rules change in this situation. They're following the rules based on the book in this scene. Get a warrant, go in, find some evidence, make an arrest. And then there's street justice, which is what happens in this scene, which is what Alonzo will explain in, in, in the following scene. And everything, like I said before, he says is the truth. It is the way it's done. And a lot of times when you hear about drive-by shootings or gang-related shootings, you might want to question that. You might want to think twice about whether that's what really happened. Four million in here. First day on the job, you hit a three million dollar seizure. Wait, you said four. Ah, taxation without representation, brother. Nothing's free in this world. You're lucky first day, motherfucker. Buy your wife a minivan with that. Put the kids through college. Give me that bag. Uh, you know, the only checks I cash, they uh, LAPD on them, right? <laughs> Somebody didn't sleep through ethics, did they? What's the matter? You don't want a piece of this, huh? Well, I... No. Right? No, like this. I mean, no. And so this is uh, the final test. He offered him alcohol at Roger's house. He offered him... He made him smoke PCP. Now he's offering him money. I'll hold it for you. Okay? What about you? Are you comfortable? Oh, I'm comfortable. So in the beginning of the movie, like I said before... <laughs> Jake said, look, you should see those guys' houses. He was ambitious. He wants a big house. He wants all the things. He wants the American dream. But Alonzo's trying to show him that, well, this is how you're going to get it and do some good in the world. Now Jake has to make a decision whether or not that's the way he wants to do things. And, and, and this scene sort of embodies all those things. It starts to show you how it works, how, not every time, of course, but how it could go down in a situation when we're not around, there's no press around, it's just five decorated police officers in a room with a guy that's a drug dealer. There you go. 
start an entourage. Morrow's <laughs> <laughs> a great cinematographer. We talked a lot about the movie, and the goal was always to, in reality, do less with specific looks. What I told Morrow was, let's just make it as realistic as possible. And let's think about the scene itself with the lighting as a story, as opposed to just lighting the characters or lighting the scene. Let's make the lighting tell a story. And that was the whole concept in there with the blinds. And you can see Alonzo's shadow across his face. And Jake still has light on him right now. But half his face is in the darkness. I had a lot of fun in this room because I played with light and shadow quite a bit, good and evil. That was very important in capturing this unpredictable day you know when we talked about shooting it in one day it was a big problem for both of us because we knew it was going to rain sometime and we knew it was going to be sunshine sometime and when we talked about it i said you know what? let's go with it because that's life we just accepted whatever god gave us and we made it a part of the movie and that's how we came up with the look of the film just let it go read dog yeah, he's finished. Where's the stinger? It's right here. All right, Jeff. You took fire coming through the door. <laughs> I need some time off, but... Okay, whoa, 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 okay? Lots of shades. All right. Okay. Okay. All right, you ready? Kiss me, baby. One. Oh! Yeah? You all right? Yeah. All right, I got to give you one more, though. Do it. Oh, fuck! All right, listen. It's not what you know. It's what you can prove, okay? And Denzel just... When I filmed him in the scene, he was so, so dark during the scene. Fuck! Matter. One go through? It's frightening the, to see how he transformed himself from the righteous Denzel Washington that everybody thinks they know to this dark, evil person in this scene. He's completely in control. New guy came in spraying. Paul. Boot shot him. What'd you guys see? White plastic. Yeah, fuck. Like I said, it's this one of the final moves of the chess game. Paul, call him up. 1149998. His boys in this room are going to say what he wants them to say, and Jake has to say what he wants them to say. Because, as we know, Jake has been smoking PCP all day. I didn't shoot a room full of cops that you did, but I didn't. And this is very important. A room full of cops said you did, so that makes it the truth. Los Angeles Police Department narcotics officer was killed today. Well, everybody's not righteous. Every cop's not righteous. LAPD spokesperson said the officer is survived. This is a very difficult scene uh, for, for Ethan as well. Ethan... I mean, so many things have to happen in his eyes, you know, to make this work. And he does an amazing job. Even on the sofa, look at that. Even on the sofa, Alonzo's manipulating him. Drop the fucking gun. Now! You want to shoot me, Paul? Go ahead, but I'm taking him with me. I'm going, Alonzo. This motherfucker's a fed, man. He ain't no fed. He's just a quiet boy with a heart that got the drop on all you fools. 
Let's everybody just take a deep breath and just defuse this thing. You hear me, Jake? You can't pull this shit on me, man. I didn't sign up for this. Okay, okay, I know you're angry. Everybody, put your guns down. Hell no. No, 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 no. Quiet boy first. Hey, listen to me. Put the guns down. That's an order. Put them down. Use your ears and you hear me, Jake. Sometimes we gotta take this shit all away. It's not like if you listen to uh, Denzel on these scenes. I mean, he's so uh, he's so seductive. He's so convincing. See, SIS. So now he's offering him a career. We make the big seizures, Jake. We make the big arrests. But if you're in my unit, you gotta be in it all the way or not at all. You understand me? I mean, I thought you were man enough to handle this shit. I guess I was wrong. Five proven decorated officers says that you're the shooter, okay? The investigators are going to want to pull a tube of your blood to check for intoxicants. What are they going to find, Jake? Do the math. You've been smoking PCP all day, haven't you, huh? Remember? You've been planning this all day? I've been planning it all week, son. You talk that crazy shit, I'll make sure your blood gets to the lab. You want to walk your little baby nuts around the block, you won't make it to the corner, but if you're cool... If you're cool, you're a hero. When I first read the script, it was amazing to me how well David Ayer, the writer, captured the intelligence of a lot of these guys. He didn't make him a stupid, you know, renegade cop, rogue cop. This guy is so intelligent and was able to put so many things in play without you ever knowing it. And that's a scary thought. And, you know, people underestimate a lot of these guys, and these guys are very smart at what they do. And they are masters of manipulation. You know, psychologically, they deal with it all day. It's a game they deal with all day. Even the way you speak is part of the game. You know, it's a rhythm that they have from being on the streets. And you can't get that rhythm without being a guy almost like Alonzo. You got to be in it. You got to know the language. You got to know how to manipulate people. You got to know what turns them on and off. And you got to offer them all those things so you can get them where you want them. And then you can manipulate them. And that scene captures all that. And you see Alonzo working Jake. He's working them, and Jake's got the gun, and he's still in control. This scene, I just really wanted it to just be, I mean, you're just in Jake's head at this point. You know, you're just, it's just, you're confused and you're lost and you're not quite sure what what just happened, why it just happened. Um, you know, at this point, Alonzo looks like just an evil bad guy. But, you know, that's the big question in the movie. And in this next scene you're about to see, he again diffuses it and explains to you, and he's telling the truth, how the game is played. And me and Denzel talked about this scene quite a bit, and um, 
the thing is, is that, again, everything he says is the truth. And uh, if you listen to the words, he doesn't lie to him about anything in this scene. It behooves you not to dick around in this one. Justifiable homicide and a lie to do me, okay? Now, what happened was... What happened was murder and armed robbery. We cut a quite a bit out of this scene. This scene was um, about two minutes longer than it is. Some great moments. I'm glad we trimmed it down because we got the best out of it, but they did so many things when I shot the scene. Um, Denzel was so sincere. There was a scene, there's one shot I had where his eyes were watery. It almost looked like a tear was about to drop out of his eyes, and he talked to Jake like his son. It was, it was so intense between Ethan and Denzel. Everyone on the set was just captured by these two. This is incredible acting to me. These guys sitting in a car but not a lot of room to move and to keep you interested and keep you focused on it. I mean, they've been doing it the whole movie, but at this point in the movie, this is more exciting to me than any action scene. I just love seeing these two guys go at it like this. Roll up in the black and white, huh? Slap the cuffs on them, you're under arrest. That's a high roller, dog. We rehearsed, I guess you can call it rehearsal. We sat in the room the way, the way we're sitting in the room right now and just talked about the movie. We just talked about the movie. We brought gang members in. We brought cops in. And we would just talk and not really rehearse because, you know, the movie is really a, a character study and we needed to understand more of each character as opposed to reading the lines because the lines, it was a great script. But we needed to understand the people we were betraying and, and you know, and, and why they do what they do. So we spent more time doing homework on undercover cops, ex-Vietnam vets who became police officers, hanging out with gang members, getting their point of view of it and why this is all happening this way, as opposed to reading the script. Once we all clicked in and knew we were on the same page, uh, and we did that for a few weeks just homework, going out to dinner with police officers and gangbangers together. And you could feel the tension in the room, but we wanted to feel that. We wanted to hear both sides and why, you know, why they, well, we know why they don't get along, but why some people push the envelope further than they should. And uh, that's how we rehearsed, man. My guys. This scene sums up. Everything they do as an undercover cop. I mean, when Denzel says this guy's the drug dealer, he sells dope to kids. I don't know anybody would, that wouldn't want a drug dealer off the street any way you can get him off if he's going to hurt a child. You got to have a little dirt on you for anybody to trust you in that business. You got to do it from the inside. See, it goes all the way back to smoking the dope. You talk to my guy, Stan. And it'll walk you through what you got to say to the DA guys, okay? And again, Jake's ambition. He tells him everything he wants to hear. And he plays on his emotions. He knows Jake has a child. He said he sells drugs to children. He's playing on all of his emotions. So... He made up his mind when he was on the phone and said, make sure that bathtub's clean. When Jake didn't take that money, 
is the first time in the movie that he decided he's going to kill him. Because once he saw him in the alleyway, he thought he can use him. So you got to remember that off camera, before he even met Jake, he knows everything about Jake. He already studied him. He knows how well he did. We had scenes in the beginning where he talked about the paperwork, how well Jake does paperwork and all these different things. He requested him to his unit. Bring him some food, you know, stuff like that. Gotta help out the family. Believe it or not, I do try to do some good in the community. What's up, dog? You know you're out, fool? This is another one of those scenes like Rogers where uh, there was a lot to shoot and a lot of things to cover. Hey, you got some things for the family. I was really happy to have uh, Cliff Curtis in the movie, the actor who plays Smiley. And uh, because he hung out, I mean, me, Ethan, and Denzel. Ethan hung out quite a bit with undercover cops in New York. I, I hooked him up with some people there. And uh, he did a lot of homework, and Denzel did a lot of his homework here. But Cliff Curtis went out and hung out with the Latino uh, gangs um, quite a bit. I think he really did a great job with it to make sure that it was authentic to their world and not insulting to them. Um, we did that with all of them. Hey, that's nice. Let me get the CD player, eh? These guys did a great job. They did a great job. Get your ass in here. This particular scene was, oh man, about three pages longer than what you even see on the screen. It was even more intense. It was so intense that we had to cut it back quite a bit. You looked at him. This was such a fun scene because these guys were just roping him in the whole time, you know. And, and Raymond Cruz here was just. I gave him some room to play a little bit, and he just he went he went to town. He had a good time. Uh, no thanks, I'm good. They're like these little demons, you know, who just rope them in. It's like it's like a cat with a mouse. They're just playing with them for a while. Don't swear to Rudo, we ain't playing for money. Nah, it's just we gotta roll in a second, you know? Alonzo's taking this shit. Go ahead, take your seat. <laughs> All right, I'll play one hand. What you guys got going on here, five-card draw? Yeah, jokers are wild. This is a tough scene to keep control of because uh, Emilio and Raymond and Cliff, I would tell them things that I wouldn't tell Ethan. And, uh, you know, Ethan had to really just, you know, he's a great actor. I knew he could handle it, so he just did his thing. But, you know, they were speaking Spanish at one point back and forth where Ethan wouldn't know what the hell they were talking about, and they were talking about killing them and different things. Because in the beginning of the movie, Alonzo asked Jake, uh, how's your Espanol? And he finds out Jake doesn't speak Spanish, which is why instead of getting a black gang to, to get rid of him, he got a Latino gang. 
It'd be easier to manipulate him. Where'd it get one? Smiling wounds. They got two pairs, eh? <laughs> they could speak any language they want around, and he wouldn't know what the hell they were talking about. If they were speaking Spanish in his room, Jake wouldn't know what they were talking about. Hey, you're fucking stupid, Essay. Why don't you take your medication or something, Hoss? Seriously, eh? I know I'm number one. See why we don't play for money, Hoss? Because of this vato, eh? And that's nice, eh? This is a big moment here where, you know, a lot of people, we, we went back and forth at the table about would he give his gun up or would he not give his gun up. The thing is, is that, you know, at some point you realize, you know, yeah, the guy, that's why I had Smiley show him his gun because they all got guns and he's not going outside because they got guns there too. So what do you do? Most people say they wouldn't give up the gun, but at the same time, most people haven't been in that situation before, you know, so maybe to avoid any problems, you know, you take the bullet out of the chamber and you let the guy check out the gun. Not much you can do with it without that bullet. So we went back and forth a lot on that that moment there, uh, and made you know, and I made the decision to to go with it. You know what you do is you aim, kind of like that. Yo, Alonzo. It's funny because most people, um, when I talk to people, most people really thought Denzel was the, was still a good guy up until this moment when he realized the card's gone. And then they, they realized, even after killing Roger, people thought that he was still a good guy, that he would somehow at the end of the day turn out to be heroic in some way. They They wanted that so bad, and... This is the moment in this scene, from this scene on uh, in the rest of the film, people uh, realized that this guy was uh, uh, a sick bastard. It's all there. Sure. If you don't believe me, you can count on yourself. What are you Alonzo, hold off a miracle, eh? Times are tight. It's good up a lot of cash. Also, the thing about this this scene is, you know, even with all the all the gangs, you know, the way he gets out of this room, the way he gets out of the situation, you know, they all have, no matter what anybody says, there's a certain uh, honor that I wanted to keep that these guys do have. They're not. Most of the violence that takes place with most of these guys has to do with each other. They have their battles. Um, like right here when he says, I don't shake his hand, the guy doesn't respect anything. It's like the Godfather, and the Godfather, you know, they could kill each other, but they still had a certain honor and respect. Well, these guys have the same thing on the streets in reality. They do. They don't, you know, somehow it's, it's put out there. They just run around shooting any civilian walking around. If a white guy showed up down there, they're just going to kill him because he's white. They, they can care less. Not, that's not what they do. You know, so this guy, Smiley, realizes this this cop in in the bathtub scene did something good and actually saved his cousin's ass. Downtown with the cash by midnight. He did a good deed. I mean, he did a, he did a good thing. The guy has some honor. He could see that in Jake's eyes. You know, so he doesn't like Alonzo in the first place. So of course they would let him go. You know, why kill him? And also. The bigger picture is, if Jake lives, 
and becomes a big shot in the police force, well, Smiley's now got a friend. You know, so they're not stupid. You know, they know how to play the game as well. And they also don't trust Alonzo. Alonzo could be setting them up. They kill this cop. They can have a, a whole SWAT team in his apartment in an hour. You know, there's a lot to think about. And when we worked on this scene, anybody that questioned whether or not they would let him go, I said, of course they would let him go. You know, they have honor as well. You know, there is a certain amount of uh, respect they have for certain things. And that's what makes them interesting for me. Dogging me in the mouth of my own pair. But you got the right to be bitch slapped. Drag his ass in the dog. Motherfucker. God, Princess! This is the first scene we discover. Um, what's really going on. I mean, and you also find out how sick Alonzo is. You know, how, how this guy is sick, man. Uh, you get you get a sense of his temper and, and, you know, his ego. You know, the guy starts talking shit, so he kills a guy. He beats him to death, you know. So that tells you how far gone he is. It's the first time Jake discovers that. But we get hints of it all through the movie. You get hints of it. Hey, Smiley, you're going to trip out. Such a little this is was, this was tricky, you know. I mean, this is tricky. I mean, honestly, you know, in the script, he finds the girl's wallet, and then it shows, you know, and it saves his ass here. You know, there's, there's a lot of people that may say, oh, that's a little convenient, you know, that stuff. You know, but sometimes I think that people over-intellectualize life in general. Hey, wait up. That's that. I can't even see you. Everyone's had a day where you had a coincidence. Everyone's experienced that in their life. Where you walked around a corner and go, oh, you know what? I was just talking about you, or this happened. And we dismiss it as just a coincidence. You put it in a movie, then it's like, oh, that's just too convenient and too easy. But all it is is just, you know, life. Well, art reflects life. And this is a moment where I said, you know what, I can accept that because the guy does a good deed, it does just wind up. And if you look at the scene, Alonzo made his mind up on who would kill Jake earlier in the movie. If he was going to kill Jake, the girl says her cousin's Hillside Trece. That's who these guys are. He's a civilian. Aim right involving her. You just fucked up. So he decided to get in touch with those guys. Jake, getting out of the car... And her saying it put the idea of who he's going to use to kill this guy. It's almost like some sick humor that he has. I'll call her cousins to do the jobs. So people say it's too convenient, but it all ties together. That's where he got the idea from. They go in his pocket and he finds that, and the guy calls to find out what happened to his little cousin. You know, so anyone can argue that as much as they would like to, but at the end of the day, Everyone has to admit they've had some things in life happen that are not exactly explainable. I was able to accept that, and in the room with everybody else, you know, I, I felt that, you know, let's let the audience decide. And we put it in front of the audience, and, you know, we rarely had problems with that. I read a couple articles, though. <laughs> Gave me a hard time about it, but I think the scene's intense enough to make you uh, forget about something that, that minor. Young too. Sure you're okay. Yeah, I'm fine. Nothing 
something happen? Eliti. Yeah? We're gonna talk more about this later. Okay. All right. What's up? What happened? Ain't gonna blast him or what, huh? See, this is about honor. Who's telling the truth? You know, he's telling the truth. What's that truth, Colonel? This is some trippy-ass shit, Holmes. This scene was much longer where uh, Smiley wanted to know what they did with the crack dealers and everything. And uh, there's a whole conversation that took place outside of Smiley's house where Smiley explains to Jake about the game, about if Jake just plays their game, they'll make him chief and all these different things. Smiley has his own philosophy of the game. We cut that out for time. Also, we wanted to just keep the movie moving and get Jake on his mission. This is an important moment here on the bus because this is, you know, this guy makes a decision to go after Alonzo. The guy could get on the bus and go home. But I had a quote at the end of, uh, on, on the director's cut in the beginning that, you know, some people thought were, was pretentious, but I don't know if they think it's pretentious now after September 11th. And the quote was uh, Albert Einstein that said, uh, the world's a dangerous place to live, not just because of the evil people in it, but because of the people who do nothing about it. And that's what the heart of the movie's all about, that you got to do something about it. And Jake could go home to his baby and to his wife, but if he does that and he doesn't do anything about Alonzo, his little girl is going to have to grow up in this world. And she's going to run into Alonzo and other people like him. So he has to get on the bus and he has to go down into the belly of the beast here. And he's got to face the dragon. He's got to face Alonzo. What you doing on the block, rookie? No, you don't blow it around here. This whole ending took quite a while to shoot, and uh, it was tricky because uh, the longer you stay down in certain areas, the more you wear out your welcome. And uh, if it wasn't for the guys I know, including this guy here, Bone, who was a good friend of mine of 12 years, it could have been ugly, but uh, we kept it under control. And Blaster, the guy on the right, they really uh, helped me uh, keep other elements uh, away on some long nights down here in the jungle. This ending, um, coming up here, this, uh, this battle with Alonzo and Jake. Hey. Uh, me and Denzel came up with this, this uh, idea of putting the kid in the middle of this firefight. 
things you watch, you watch on TV. Had a little resistance until we really talked it through and everybody kind of got on board. But I'm really happy that we uh, we we got that one um, in the movie because, you know, you know, in a lot of these firefights in these areas, things happen. There's so many children around. People rarely deal with them, and you know, there's no way to have a confrontation happen without uh, having this child in the scene. And uh, it also shows he doesn't quite trust his own father. I don't think people give kids enough credit. Kids feel things and react to things. And in the scene to come, when Alonzo's calling him, the kid doesn't move because there's something about Jake. You know, when they watch TV together, his father's never even sat up and watched TV cartoons with him like that. So he's not sure who the bad guy really is. And that just confirms their relationship, even further, or, you know, lack of a relationship that he has with his own son. Move real slow, keep your hands where I can see them. And once you put that money in that bag, take your weapons and place them inside that pillowcase. Some people, when they saw the scene, actually, for a moment, I don't know what they thought. They thought the whole day was going to be a training day and that everything was a setup. They still wanted to believe Denzel was a good guy. Put the gun down. Take the money and put it in that bag. Take your weapons and place them inside that pillowcase. You can fuck your appointment with the Russians. You're not going to make it. Okay. I shot most of this with a steady cam and uh, on a dolly. So you're going to hook me and book me, huh? You're the one that was smoking the dust, Jake. You're the one that ran out like a maniac, and you're the one that shot Roger. Here you go. Most of it's steady cam. I didn't do any handheld and all that stuff. You know, the thing is, is that I met with some cameramen that, you know, we're interested in shooting the movie in the beginning. And, you know, the tendency, a lot of people, even some executives, you know, everyone has this tendency to believe that you got to just do shaky cam, gritty film stock to uh, make something gritty. I don't know where that comes from, you know. Uh, I told my cinematographer, I just said, you know, you just, you know, Morrow, we talked a lot. And I said, I want beautiful frames. And we storyboarded everything and talked about it. And I put the ugliness inside of it. So... The less you do, the better. You know, don't swing the camera around and all that kind of craziness. Let's just, you know, tell the story. That particular shot when Jake goes up against the thing, uh, up against the um, sink there, that was Steadicam. Uh, but, I, you know, I did I did a lot of this on Steadicam, but not, not really for an, an edge or anything. I did some of this because uh, uh, some of these areas were so narrow in these real locations, you know, that I had to uh, use the equipment that could get me in between doorways and things like that. So it was just easier to use a steady cam. And also, I didn't want to lock the actors down to having to be one place. You know, they've been in a car the whole movie. You know, I've had them in such control the whole movie, you know, in a car. You know, they walk from here to there, sitting here, sitting there. And now they're moving more and there's more action. So I wanted to give them as much room to, you know, to do that, and that's why I use a steady cam as well on some of these scenes. There's my son. Don't hurt him. We're walking out of here together, mijo. No, mio. Esa cucuye te va a pegar. 
ukuye mi. The guy is so far gone that, you know. But more than anything, he would sacrifice anyone and anything to live. The guy wants to live. That's the thing about Alonzo. You know, he loves himself, man. Sit tight, all right? It's going to be all right. He doesn't necessarily want to kill his kid there, but he would use him as a distraction to kill Jake. Oh, All right, let me see your hands. Where is he? Let me down the window. Come on, come on, come on. You can't see him. This is all first unit. I don't really like second unit stuff, man. I had a little second unit stuff going, uh, Guy named Kenny Bates is a really good stunt second unit guy, but I, I don't I don't really like anyone else doing second unit for me because sometimes it just never looks the same, you know. But uh, I'd rather do smaller, smaller things and, and and shoot it all myself. So this is all first unit. difficult to just hand over anything you know that has to do with you know filming of your movie to, to someone else it's very difficult to do that and expect for them to have the same eye as you have not necessarily that one eye is better than the other it's just it could become a different movie in this scene. reason this scene is so violent is to show Alonzo's temper and to show how we don't see the guy in Vegas die but this is an example of how the guy probably died so I wanted Denzel to just be ruthless because we don't see Vegas so this is the first time you see him physically try and beat someone to death Instead of, you know, because we talked about that we show Vegas in the flashback in some way. I just, I didn't want to do that. So I'd use this scene to show how vicious Alonzo can be.
this moment here was a um, a big conversation. I wanted Jake to to uh, get to Alonzo a little differently. We had a couple shots where he, where Jake is on the roof. You see him run and jump onto the car. It pushes it a little bit. I think it's forgiven to some degree, but it pushes it a little bit. Now, I would have preferred, actually, to have him uh, get to him just as violent and aggressive, but in a different way. But I still think it works. down there for about two weeks and then two weeks and maybe four days or something we were there quite a long time hey first Damu puts one in his head I'll make you a rich man come on now we want to get paid we want to get paid They're not like you. You know what I learned today? I'm not like you. That's good, Jay. It's funny, because when we were filming this scene, they would get so into it that they were clap at certain things, and they were so excited to see. Like, all of a sudden, he wasn't Denzel anymore. He was Alonzo. <laughs> they were really, you know, they are really excited about seeing him get his just due. There it is, Jay. Hit me. You ain't never killed nobody before, have you? It ain't like stepping on ants, Jake. Takes a man to kill. You man enough to kill, Jake? Hit me right there. Get me, Jake. Get me. Hit me. Hit me. You can't do it. Somebody drop this fool for me. Again, this is an important scene, really important scene, because, you know, we had conversations about who should kill Alonzo, this, that, and the other, and who should deal with him, you know, but the people of the neighborhood, you know, you know, they're, they're not, they're not the killers, they're not the ones that, you know, nine times out of ten, there's always some other problem or foreign uh, uh, there's always something uh, there's always something more than what the media tells you I'm gonna get that gun and then I'm gonna get that again gun. when I talk about honor and respect and things like that these guys they side with Jake you know they side with the good they don't it doesn't matter what color uh, Alonzo is it doesn't matter that Jake's white and Alonzo's black, they, they're going with who's doing the right thing. They'd rather deal with Jake than Alonzo. 
You know, so I had a lot of people at some point talk to me about the neighborhood turning on Alonzo because he's black. But, you know, of course they would because he's he's evil. You know, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they, you know, help the person that's doing the right thing? And that's Jake. So, you know. I think that's a small way of thinking for some people to make a color issue out of this scene because it's not about that at all. You know, if Jake would have been played by a black actor, he just would have happened to have been black. Uh, neither one of these characters were written to be anything but the characters. We just cast it this way. Um, you know, I had a great actor like Denzel who wanted to play the role, and I wanted Ethan Hawke to play the other role. They just happened to be... One white, one black. But there was no subconscious reason for it. Jake, go ahead and bounce on me. Get up out of here. We got your back. What? Just like that. Oh, no, you didn't. Wait a minute. No, you didn't. Hey, hey, Jake! Hey! Jake! Jake! Jay, come back here! Jay! You disloyal, fool-ass, bitch-made punk. Jay! I need my money! Jay! Oh, you motherfuckers. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm putting cases on all you bitches. Huh? You think you can do this shit? Jay! This is the first time you really see that he is a victim. I mean, look at this guy. This guy is yelling and screaming and trying to think of anything to make these people respond to what he has to say. You know, putting them in Pelican Bay Prison, shoe program, you know, security housing uh, unit. You'll never see the light of fuck. You know, I'm the man up in here. His ego's taking over, you know. And then he goes into, I'm the police, you know. So, you know, he's, he's lost. You know, he's lost. He's like, a, he's like a, 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 a raving mad pit bull just slobbering and, and, you know, foaming at the mouth with nowhere to go. No one to bite anymore. No one's listening to him anymore. And he's actually pitiful. Because not only that, the system's failed him as well. The guy's just, you know, he has nothing left. But see... He says, I'm winning anyway. He's still believing his myth. Can't lose. Shit, you can shoot me, but you can't kill me. He believes he's uh, invincible. Oh, believing the myth. But I'm fucking dead. <laughs> but the final coffin really is that moment right there. It's like his own kid saw him, you know on the ground, on his knees, you know. I mean, that's, that's, that's got to be the worst for any man. It's your child to see you that way, you know. So whatever happens to him now is just, at the end of the day, what is it, what is it saying? Uh, the wages of sin is death.
This scene we went back and forth on a lot about, obviously. Um, this scene's important. I'll tell you why. Alonzo, myself and Denzel really wanted this scene this way. Uh, because, again, you know, in this world, nothing is what it seems. And, you know, like we said, the wages of sin is death. And when he's dying, listen to the way he's breathing. He's breathing. It's like uh, he sounds like this slaughtered animal. Very similar to the way Roger sounds. And that's why I wanted him to punish him, just pepper him and punish him. Just like he did Roger, bleed out. Let him bleed out. Let him die. Let him suffer. He's getting what he put out. What goes around comes around. And he's paying his price now. And they're going to make him suffer for it. This ending, we, uh, when I showed it around the country, it wasn't on it, but what we found was interesting. A lot of the younger, under 30, didn't want to see Jake go home. They were clapping and everything when Jake walked away from the cul-de-sac, and the older men and women wanted to see him make it home, which I agree. I think the thing is, at the end of the day, we all just want to make it home, no matter what kind of job you have. You want to make it home with your integrity intact, and Jake did that. So it's really a movie about a hero. That's one long ass day. They got a lot of things to deal with in a day. I'm really proud of the movie. I think uh, everyone did an incredible job. You know, I got to thank uh, Denzel Washington for you know putting his trust and faith in me, and and Ethan Hawke as well, and uh, the crew, and you know. All the, all the other actors who did an amazing job. I got to thank Warner Brothers, Alan Horn and Lorenzo de Bonaventura and uh, Jessica Goodman and uh, Village Roadshow and those guys because it takes a lot of balls and guts to make this kind of movie. And it's not a movie that everyone is going to accept because it's the truth and it's a harsh reality. And those guys put a lot on the line to make this film and let me go into these neighborhoods and shoot this movie. You know, Bone and Sniper and Blaster and all those cats who helped me keep everybody safe. I just really got to say thank you to, to all those people and, uh, and thanks for listening and watching the film.